Hello and welcome to episode number 338 of the Super Horror Bros podcast. I'm your host Matt and joining me as always is my brother Mike. Hello. How's it going? Pretty good, pretty good. Good, good. We are back with uh, another installment of the uh, the Last of Us spin-off podcast. Um, right. That is, that the, is the what is... Last of Us podcast. Exactly, yeah. Make sure you, you guys are checking out the real one, because that is uh, exceptional listening every week. Um, but yeah, we, we, we love our little chats about it, of course. Um, and yeah, we have to enjoy it while we can, because there's only a few more weeks of it to enjoy. But I'm even- very aware of that. I'm, yeah. I'm so aware that we're in like the normal episode next week now. It's oh. like, it's, it's terrifying. It is sad, but I'm already thinking about the rewatches. I'm already thinking about the the speculation and and all of that stuff. You know, casting announcements. So it's we got so much good shit to look forward to. Um, but yeah, we we do actually have a film to talk about this week. Funny enough, um, which is our continuing. Yes, the uh, the ranking Wes Craven. It's been a couple of months. I always like to do at least one every couple of months. Um, but we are we are fast approaching the end of this now. The end is definitely in sight. Um, I know. Unless something crazy happens, it should end this year, which is fantastic. Um, yeah, I was going to say for for new listeners to this, we we have already covered all of the Scream movies, so yes. you know we uh, we have been doing a Wes Craven retrospective. But as we already did a special on those movies, we're kind of we're a lot further along than it may seem. With yeah. This. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, it was around episode 200, I believe, was when we, yeah, I think it was, um, back in 2020, that we did all four of the screen movies, sort of back to back, and then off the back of that, we then went back to the start, and have been doing them in chronological order since then, um, so yeah, we've done a lot of the big heavy hitters, like Hills of Eyes, and Nightmare on Elm Street, Last House on the Left, and yeah, we, we're getting towards, like, the end of his career now, um, obviously, yeah, not including Scream, of course, um, but yeah, we'll get to Vampire in Brooklyn as well, which um, neither of us had ever seen before. Um, I know a new Wes Craven movie. Yeah, like there's, yes, maybe we'll get to that. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, something tells you I, feel, I don't feel like I've just seen a Wes Craven movie, but we'll get to that very quickly. Um, I'm, I'm not gonna lie, I gotta just say. I have never been less confident that I have seen the right <laughs> movie for the show than I have this week. <laughs> like <laughs> the only save of grace is eddie murphy was definitely in the movie i watched but other than that i can't be certain that i watched the right movie <laughs> i mean i wish i'd have just watched the nutty professor but yeah we'll, we'll get to it shortly um but yeah there's a little bit of news this week um <laughs> <laughs> I think we've done the film talk, bro. <laughs> yeah, sorry, The Last of Us. <laughs> um, this is we're just going crazy this week. Um, right, the news. There's there's really only a couple of things here, and um, this first one. It is cool, um, but I feel like we've we have talked about this multiple times in the news now, and I, I thought we'd already got to this point, but it has been reported again this week, and this comes via the Hollywood Reporter. Um, and yeah, it was kind of right that did a reporting on it last year that we covered. So I think this is new news. This is based upon the um, the kind of it uh tv series right um so obviously this is called welcome to Derry, and it will uh, serve as a prequel to the two recent it movies so it's the same universe um of course on hbo and yeah this is kind of the new news as it were is that this has been given a straight to series order at this point um so obviously that is this is it now like this is a legit thing that is actually happening i really thought that that was already the case um we've already talked about 
yeah because we've talked about like a vague plot synopsis and we'd already speculated about like cast and crew and all that stuff so maybe it was just like they were doing a pilot or something i don't really know but yeah it is a thing um i have to imagine that this is maybe something to do with the last of us's success and obviously hbo being like okay have we got any other sort of horror related shows on the back burner um right let's pull the trigger on this one now um so yeah this is this is a legit thing um it kind of says as well which is i guess this is a piece of new news again which is actually fantastic because this was one of the kind of two biggest question marks we had you know one being cast and and this one being crew related um is that andy muschetti of course the director of the two it movies um is involved um he will direct multiple episodes of the series including the first episode um that to me is wonderful news it's arguably the best news we could get outside of a a, a certain confirmation of uh bill skarsgård um which is obviously still not talked about i may as well say that here now like it's there's no reference to any casting of course this is um variety said last year that the series begins in the 1960s in the time leading up to the events of it part one so in terms of other cast members it's very difficult because you're talking about a prequel to when they were children um so they're probably not going to be in it you know it doesn't make any sense to bring the young cast or the older cast unless there's like major flash forwards so yeah like the two major casts of those two movies i don't think are going to be involved but i think for this to be set in that same world and universe and it it be specifically about dairy yes you can do it as a spin-off but you need to have it because the show is about it and in my opinion it, it has to be bill skarsgård i just don't see i think setting it in the same continuity and having andy muschetti involved mm. and then very much tying it to those two films if they have to recast it and that's what they will be doing make no mistake about it is like that's how i'll phrase it is they are recasting it because it is you know effectively the same character and the same continuity like people are just going to compare the two so much um and obviously we love him we love his performance so much but so it'd be very difficult but um aside from all that like what what do you make about this because i i'm i'm very excited i think hbo for me as i keep saying is the gold standard in television um i want to just watch everything they do currently um so the fact that they're doing like a horror tv show um obviously there's like the the talk of the hellraiser show and maybe that'll get like awakened at some point but yeah this seems like it's a, a thing so yeah hbo doing an it tv series sort of how how excited are you for this yeah i think incredibly excited i think the news obviously as well is very exciting um you know the fact that he is going to direct multiple episodes and is heavily involved and and you know as you said the fact that that is going to now be 100 percent in that universe we just have to get the casting announcement um you know we we need that confirmation but but that aside i think it is a great um story to bring to tv because you know obviously we've seen it in the the short already and I think, like, it, it's a great, it's as close to Nightmare on Elm Street as you can get without it being Nightmare on Elm Street, basically, where, like, it, mm. you know, Pennywise can be Freddy Krueger. He can be all of these different things. He is your biggest fear. Um, and, you know, in, in most, well, in, in pretty much all context, he's he's more dark than Freddy in, in most of the kind of ways that we've seen him. And I, And so for me, like, you know, we spoke about the Freddy vibes we got from Muschietti's kind of movies, and I really hope we get that in the TV show as well. And, you know, the the thing about, the, the you know, Skarsgård, I would like him 
100% involved in the show, but I don't want the whole season of, of it looking like Pennywise the Clown. I, yeah. I want him to take different forms. I want him to be different things. You know, I want it to be more, um, you know, more of this Freddy Krueger-like villain that is going to be your darkest fears. And I think, like, his base level needs to be Skarsgård, but I would like to see him be different things for sure. Yeah, I completely agree with that sentiment. I think it's one of the, maybe you could say, missed opportunities of the character of It, is that it's almost a crutch at this point that It equals Pennywise, yeah. the clown. Yeah. And yeah, it can clown. be so much like, more I'm than like, that. I'm not scared of a clown. Like, give me something I'm scared of. <laughs> But it, I mean, it's, it's awesome. Mm. And, and like Pennywise is one of those most iconic and he's definitely one of my favorites in terms of visuals and character and everything. Like I absolutely love Pennywise. Um, but I also love when he's a giant spider or when he's just doing other crazy shit. And, and yeah, I agree. The, the Freddy Krueger comparison is just spot on because yeah, doing that in a TV show and having a different monster of the week, each episode terrorizing a group of characters in Derry sounds wonderful to me. Yeah. And I think that is, that is how you make this a good TV show is that you just have the horror of Derry can be anything week to week um and and that level of creativity as long as you have good writers involved that that just that just writes itself so uh yeah i'm really excited for this um i i hope we get to see this soon um and it's it's kind of crazy that like it's coming up to four years since that last film um and obviously those movies made an obscene amount of money, so I'm, I'm stunned that it's kind of taken them this long, really. Um, I really thought we were going to get a spin-off movie as a sort of backstory on Pennywise, almost like a prequel movie that would be like a new thing. So I'm kind of surprised that didn't get off the ground, but I wonder if they are sort of merging that into the TV show. Mm. Um, but yeah, we shall see for that one. And then this next one, God, the, something that we had a lot to talk about, and I'm sure we're not going to have much to say about this, but I put it in here just because it's hilarious. Um I love the whole like physical media debates and some of the just bullshit you get when when it comes to movies being released in certain ways. And obviously, we live in a world now with a lot of these the streaming services. And when you look at a lot of our favorite horror movies of recent years, you look at our top tens alone. There's a lot of films in there that we'll never get to own physically. Mm. Um, you know, a movie like Fresh, like I adore Fresh, and if that had a nice Blu-ray with a director's commentary and a behind the scenes and all that stuff, like I'd buy that in a heartbeat. Like I adore that film, but it's it's just a streaming film. Um, and there's countless other films like that. Um, but one movie that came straight to to streaming services last year, which was uh, one that we're definitely not going to re-review right now because I'm we've spoke about it so much. Um, but it's Hellraiser, of course, mm-hmm. and yeah, this was a Hulu exclusive, so it didn't even get you know a cinema release and it's and it wasn't getting a physical anyway um until now it's getting a physical release um but not what but not what you'd imagine (laughs) i would love for you to oh god this is this this story is just ridiculous so it's the last four hellraiser movies packaged together (laughs) on vhs (laughs) (laughs) it's it's nearly that good (laughs) it's it's coming it's a DVD, yeah. Just DVD, yeah. Just in the United Kingdom, <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's perfect because. And the last, wait, there's one more. However many Hellraiser movies I own on DVD, because so yeah, this is great. This is great. And it's region locked. <laughs> it's beautiful. 
<laughs> so so for us it's great because of course yeah we're going to be we're going to be pre-ordering this bad boy yeah, of course uh, march 20 version of uh, hellraiser <laughs> <laughs> um yeah march 27th if you're if you're looking out for this one for the uk dvd exclusive of hellraiser from 2022 Ooh. and if yeah if you're unfortunately crying out for this one on physical and you're uh somewhere else in the world you're gonna have to get a region free dvd player to play it um yeah i put this in here because it's just a joke it's ridiculous i mean it's not a joke this is actually real um but i couldn't believe it when i saw the news and it made me actually audibly laugh out loud when i read it um so i had to put it in here i'm Um, I'm grateful in a lot of ways because i've brought a lot of trash blu-rays that are dvds in a blu-ray case yeah you're you know, absolutely right at least they're not wolf in sheep's clothing you know they're just like nah it's a fucking dvd like i can't wait to see how much it costs though <laughs> yeah I'm, prob- I'm gonna go for like 25 pounds <laughs> <laughs> proper 4k pricing <laughs> yeah, sure. uh it's just funny it's like i don't I'm fascinated by this, and I have to imagine this isn't going to be the last time we talk about this on the show because I have a weird fascination with this now, and I want to see who's releasing. Like, what distribution label yeah. is this on? And why couldn't you I, on a Blu-ray? Yeah, I just I want to know what this looks like as well. Like, it's or and if there's anything else on this DVD, or if it's just like they just wrote Hellraiser in pen on a blank DVD and just recorded it off Hulu. I really hope. Like, is there the, anything I else? Like the System of a Down still this album cover. Yeah. <laughs> that's what i want the the artwork to be like that's if it is i'm definitely getting it for sure yes for <laughs> sure i greatly appreciate it um but yeah this this is uh what well, well, that's just great in it like yeah. i i just love shit like that um and yeah i think it's just funny because like like i said is this kind of relatively serious point to kick this off like there is just so many of these movies that you're just never going to get to do that and i think it's a shame because that to me is a part of loving these films yeah i had, you know, the I had of seeing them this week that like i think hbo do put their stuff out um yeah they do because i've already had that as well yeah, yeah. I'm like, <laughs> man i need that 4k last of us on my shelf like yeah you know i want this crazy version i want some features i you know i want to hear neil do a commentary over every episode like um yeah i i want that physical version already yeah i'm pretty sure they do because i'm pretty sure all of game of thrones Thrones is yeah and then chernobyl i'm sure as well chernobyl is because i've been thinking about trying to watch that mm. i um i want to see if like house of the dragon if that's already out on 4k because mm. I, I then i'll try and gauge sort of how quick the turnaround is because yeah i want this hopefully within yeah. the next six months um oh speaking of hbo as well like i recently this past week picked up the uh the entire series of true blood on blu-ray um which is of course a, a hbo show as well ready to rewatch that but i'm, I'm probably going to finish watching lost before i start it i haven't decided yet but um so yeah that that obviously exists as well so hbo are really really mm. good with this like in terms of the channels they are one of the better ones so i yeah, we're definitely getting The Last of Us on Blu-ray. I'm pretty sure we'll get it on 4K, because why not? And then, yeah, I just hope that it's quick. Because, mm. um, yeah, then we get to talk about it all again. We'll just do, like, a 4K review each week at that point as well. So yeah. why not? Yeah, 100%. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, shall we talk about this week's film? Let's do it. Let's talk about Vampire in Brooklyn. So yeah, we are in 1995 now, 
um i guess so we, we did what new nightmare mm. back in uh december so new nightmare yeah it was the year before 94 so it's i just love trying to get the context of these things <laughs> and kind of tell like the whole story I, um yeah I, i'm because this obviously in between new nightmare and scream i think makes this even more bizarre yeah i mean like the only thing I'm looking forward to, because I've already like just lost all my energy, and the only, the only thing I'm looking forward to is if you've got any sort of like facts or trivia as to what the fuck went down, like what what happened. <laughs> yeah, I've got a couple of things, but I like they're not. I want, I've got one thing to talk about that's actually just really horrific, but I feel like it is worth mentioning. It's actually just really like truly sad news oh, God. um but i do it is worth mentioning and then yeah there's a, there's a couple of things in terms of the kind of the direction and the um the kind of direction in the sense of what they thought this movie was going to be and kind of what wes craven wanted this to be and what eddie murphy wanted to be and it's almost you'd be surprised because i think they both had the opposite of what you'd expect mm-hmm. um but yeah it's it, yeah, th- this coming out in 95, like you say, you, you would think to yourself, okay, where was Wes mm. at this point? And the fact that he was, you know, this is in between his two major franchises. Um, of course, his last contribution to Nightmare and then his first contribution to Scream, um, which I think just kind of packages this so interestingly um, because it is like you talk about the forgotten Wes Craven movies. And this is again, one that I've seen the cover for feels like my whole life. Um, you know, Eddie Murphy grinning, the moon, the kind of the Brooklyn skyline. Like I've, I've seen this poster and this artwork so many times, but never actually seen the film. It feels to me once again, like serpent in the rainbow. hundred percent. Where We've got Wes being asked to make a Wes movie. And Wes is like, I don't really want to make a Wes movie right now. I want to make something a bit more weird. You know, that's how I feel like it went down, that he was hired to make a crazy, scary vampire movie, and then the comedy elements were going to be brought in elsewhere. And then Wes came in with, like, a silly hat on and was like, I'm here to make a comedy, guys. And they were like, whoa, 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 no, you're here to make a scary movie, and we're going to cram comedy into it. And, like, Mm. yeah, it just feels like a real mismatch. But, I mean, do you want to go into your trivia more, or do you want me to go into a synopsis? Well, yeah, I might as well say it quickly mm. now because there isn't anything too crazy. But obviously, this is a major sort of Eddie Murphy production. It mm. isn't just him being the lead. Mm. This is his um, production company. He had an exclusive deal with Paramount at the time. Um, and this was like his last film with them where he'd done the Beverly Hill Cops franchise. <laughs> and this was kind of like the last one where it seemed like he basically had to do one more film. Right. Um, and and so he, he kind of like, okay, what, what have you got? And he... He wrote the story for this with two of his brothers as well. Um, so this, that's really interesting. That they kind of all wrote this and came up with this like vampire, bringing in sort of this, you know, black perspective on a vampire film, uh, setting it in Brooklyn. Um, and it is interesting, you know, that that's kind of the setup for this mm. is like he's a megastar who's doing like he's already a massive stand up comedian and had these hugely successful movies with Beverly Hill Cop. Um, and then to do this and. <clears throat> Kind of then as Wes comes into it, that's where I think it gets interesting is that Wes, um, like you say, you kind of predicted it rightly, is that Wes was like taken on because he could do the horror. And uh, at the time, Eddie Murphy did want to do a dramatic, serious role. Um, 
but then it was a case of okay an eddie murphy movie needs to be funny and wes craven wanted to make an eddie murphy movie you know he wanted to make a funny film and we've talked before about it's kind of been all over wes craven's filmography this weird obsession with humor Mm. um and how he never fully committed to making a comedy but he had like a weird sense of humor in a lot of his films and a lot of weird comedy that it's, a lot of the time didn't really make sense in his serious horror films. Yeah. So it, it did feel like that this was him being like, okay, no, I'm just going to make a comedy. Oh, I love Eddie Murphy and those comedy for the movies. Great. And then when they kind of sat down in the room and they were like, okay, so you're the horror guy. Here's all these horror ideas. And so it was a case of Eddie Murphy's bringing the horror to Wes Craven and Wes Craven's bringing the comedy to Eddie Murphy. Yeah. And it's like it's this is this is backwards. <laughs> yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. And, and and I think it shows in the movie that yeah, they the the wrong people were trying to make the wrong shit and everyone ended up having a pretty bad time because of it. Um and I think that's why it's fascinating that the following year, Wes Craven goes on to do Scream, mm-hmm. um, and Eddie Murphy goes on to make The Nutty Professor. Well, this, um, this and kind is of... like a fucking prelude to The Nutty Professor, really. You know, we'll get into that, yeah. but it's insane. It definitely is, and I, but I think that's what's fascinating, is they yeah. both kind of got this weird movie, yeah. and then they realise what both of them should actually yeah, be making. Like, oh, I need to just make a baller horror movie. like, And, and yeah, Eddie was like, yeah, I'm going to just be it do a crazy comedy where i play every character yeah. instead of just two exactly and they were both hugely Ooh. successful films and, and then franchises so and, and they you know I, I really like both of them so it, it is weird that like you mash these two things together and it just i don't know it's to me it just doesn't work no. but um yeah we can get into the plot i guess if you'd like Ooh, yeah i mean um just to confirm really that i did see the right movie um <laughs> where like we did what movie came out first, Ghostbusters 2 or Vampire in Brooklyn? <laughs> You're asking the wrong person, but I can Google it now. <laughs> Surely Ghostbusters 2 was before it 96 was. or 95. No, it was. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> this is like the opening straight up hams, like the Titanic redocking in Ghostbusters 2. <laughs> this movie starts with just like a giant ship docking in Brooklyn out of nowhere and a wolf jumps off the ship it turns into a vampire mm-hmm. okay you with me so far <laughs> yep then i mean i'm joking because this movie makes no sense because the opening makes no sense we then kind of cut to our kind of one of our lead characters julius who is just like thrown into the scene where he's being thrown out of a house and we have no idea who he is he's suddenly on the run um and then suddenly Eddie Murphy playing Maximilian turns up and does some vampire stuff to save him only to then make him his ghoul, i.e. his, his zombie slave. Um, Mm. and then we kind of get this weird story about how Maximilian is this vampire that is, um, Traveled to New York to find like his long lost bride, I guess, or his long lost vampire lover. <laughs> and the, the, his long lost vampire lover is trapped inside a woman's body and doesn't know she's a vampire. Yeah. Mm. And then, and then uh, he meets her and we spend an hour and a bit of him trying to win her over until eventually he kind of does (laughs) (laughs) 
I don't think like either of us have ever been more disengaged with a film from the synopsis in the entire time doing this podcast. <laughs> like the movie confused me so much. Like that's my that's my fucking synopsis. That's all you're getting. Like, this movie was bad. But there were multiple points. What made this movie worse was that I had to rewind it multiple times. Because <laughs> I was like, have I just fucking missed something? Because there's the scene where um, Rita, um, played by kind of Angela Bassett, which I didn't realise she was in this movie. Um, <laughs> she is like gone onto the ship, co- discovers the coffin that has her body inside it. Um, and then suddenly Eddie Murphy just rocks up and goes, oh shit, it's you, and didn't expect it to be you, and then just, like, flies out of the room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, then, and then, like, that's, like, the genesis of her, like, awakening what she is and him trying to get her on side. And I got, like, ten minutes further into the movie, and I was like, did something else happen in that fucking room? <laughs> or what? So I literally had to rewind it and was like, nope. She literally just like looked at herself in a coffin and then Eddie Murphy just went, damn, it's you. And then just like flew out the room. <laughs> like it was just, it was very disorientating a lot of it. You know, like I said, the movie starts weird with this boat kind of crashing in Bro- Brooklyn kind of docks. It wasn't bad, that scene. It was just a bit like, what's going on? And then the cut to Julius and the introduction of Eddie's character properly was you know strange and then and yeah it's just this weird mix of like he you know it felt like someone trying to do an eddie murphy comedy where because the the the, the comedic relief mostly comes from julius yeah like standing next to eddie murphy playing a bit of a serious vampire yeah like which does like which does really confuse me. It makes me terrified for the, the Nick Cage movie coming up because we had our reservations about him being a vampire. Mm. And I'm like, man, if he's just like playing it deadpan the whole time, because, because really Maximilian, you know, you take out the preacher scene where he's, you know, out, that is him doing a comedy bit that, that once again, didn't land with me. Um, but you take that out of it and, and he really does play it quite straight. Yeah, like, everything everything with Maximilian is 100% played, like, dramatic, serious. Yeah, you know, and then you have kind of Julius, to, who who I didn't dislike, like, as this ghoul that was, like, slowly kind of, you know, it, it was very reminiscent of, like, American Werewolf in London, but obviously not as good, where, you know, he is slowly, like, falling apart and getting more and more kind of um, rotten and everything throughout the movie, and, like, I liked that effect of how it looked, but him, him as a character was just not great at all. Mm. Um, and ultimately, like, after seeing the movie, I'm like, there's so little horror in this. This is very much like a shit comedy with a love story, and they just happen to be vampires. Yeah. Like, you know, there is there is almost no horror in it, and when it is, it's just, it's not good. Um, I had to make sure Wes's name was on like I said attached to the movie I had watched because I was almost convinced that that I was watching the wrong film because I was like you know we're we're talking about doing a Wes Craven retrospective here and so we're comparing it to his other movies and we're talking about Wes Craven Mm -hmm. I've I've never felt I've never watched one of his movies out of ones that have you know we've really not enjoyed to the ones we've absolutely loved that feel like it has no identity of Wes Craven whatsoever in it 
um you know there was almost nothing um we had a little bit of fire but even then a man wasn't fully on fire so i don't count that we had some um, uh, dog stunts we did have some dog stunts <laughs> we did have some dog stunts um but yeah it's just like it it really had no identity to a wes craven movie and and you know i think we've had that a couple of times in his career and like um where you're like how was this the movie in that sequence but I think it was maybe something like Deadly Blessing or something like that, where we were like, oh, okay, I could see this as, like, his first movie or second, but not his fourth. You know, it feels, like, too late in the cycle and it's 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 gone backwards, whereas this one is just a complete adjacent to his filmography, let alone the fact that it's sandwiched between A New Nightmare and Scream. Like, that's mental. Mm. Like, how does the man make a new nightmare vampire in Brooklyn scream? Yeah. Like, like imagine that as like a, as a trio of movies. Like, it's yeah, like just... imagine if we, if we were covering these as just new releases of a yeah. guy and that's, and that was like the, the movie, movie, movie in a row. It would be insane. <laughs> yeah. Like my brain couldn't handle it. Like, thank <laughs> God that like I've, I've absorbed this like years after the fact and grew to love Wes because honestly if I'd have watched this I'd have been like I'm not watching any more of these movies from this guy <laughs> like because it, it it really is bad it's not um for me this movie had no no redeeming qualities it, it wasn't funny either you know if if the humor had landed like I said I think Julius the odd bit kind of was was slightly close I felt like the whole preacher scene was particularly annoying I I found um and again you know that's the context of seeing the nutty professor movies before watching this if i'd have seen eddie murphy do this for the first time in this movie i may have found it funnier but i was like oh yeah like that's kind of like a rubbish nutty professor and what he's saying is just kind of fairly offensive and not that witty really um so yeah i didn't i didn't find that great and yeah it was was pretty much bored from from start to finish i i started the movie confused i quickly went to board and then i never got out of board mm. yeah it's it's really not good um i think with there's so many movies that like you can read about them you can see the poster the key art and you can kind of get a sense of what the movie is and like that's exactly how i felt about this film where now I've seen it, it was exactly what I always thought it would be when I knew that Wes directed a Eddie Murphy vampire comedy in the 90s. I really hoped that it would end up being something else and end up being like, oh, maybe, no, it's like a, it's a bit weird, a bit different. It's like, nope, that this is, you know, I could have seen a 30-second a clip on YouTube and it would have been a fair representation of this exact film, you know, this entire film. Um mm. Because, yeah, it just doesn't bring anything sort of new to the table. I think for me as a comedy, it's it's definitely not good. I don't hate it. Like, it got a couple of chuckles out of me, but I think that was more just for the fact that with, with a movie this long, it's really hard to watch any comedy that's, like, not going to get me at least once or twice, almost like the kind of broken clock line, as it were. And, it, yeah, it got me a couple of times, but I'm not, like, I don't think it's worth giving it credit for. And I think it's... um. You know, I do 
have a fondness for Eddie Murphy. Like, I grew up with The Nighty Professor and Dr. Doolittle in particular, like, two very sort of childhood favorites of mine. Like, I've not watched them for, you know, over 25 years or whatever, but, like, I liked them as a child. And so, yeah, him him doing his shtick, I do enjoy. Um, I particularly like the other character, the sort of, I think he's literally just called uh, Guido, um, I, who's not really in the movie that much. He's pretty much only one scene that Eddie Murphy plays that character, but I, that scene mm. I did enjoy. Um, but then, yeah, and it's not even like he's bad either, because yeah, he's just playing. I think the the, the re- going back to like this just as like a horror film, I guess, or as a, as a film, it, this movie is just trope after trope after trope. It is your most classic trope laden vampire movie of this era where it's like these vaguely sexual encounters you know where it's like oh it's a vampire and the the kissing on the neck and the suave sophisticated you know that was very much vampires of this era before we then got to like the the emo vampires of the noughties and then kind of the you know the more self-serious stuff with true blood like i feel like this was exactly what vampire culture was in the 90s um was just purely like sexual you know stuff and so i think that yeah they kind of do that quite well like eddie murphy and angela bassett have fairly good chemistry um it's just none like in terms of story there's like nothing to talk about her because it is literally just a guy chasing a woman and like that's literally the entire plot of the whole film um in terms of set pieces there's like almost nothing in terms of the horror there's almost nothing there's like a couple of like early on there's like a guy gets like he pulls i think a heart out of the guy's chest in the opening scene and I was like, oh, this looks cool. And and I was like, I quite liked the way Eddie looked in the opening scene and stuff. So I was like, oh, this might be good. And, like, it just wasn't, unfortunately. Like, I'd say the opening scene probably is the best scene in the whole film um, because of that. And, Did you yeah, see it, who did the creature effects for this movie as well? No. <laughs> Greg Nicotero. Really? Wow. See, that's crazy to me. Like, <laughs> like it blew my that- mind. And the thing is, well, when they look like vampires, they look great. Um, <clears throat> like, it really does remind me of From Dust Till Dawn. look good as well. Yeah. Like, so I think it, it just, it's weird. Like, it has individual good elements. and mm. But, like, as an overall complete movie, I just don't think it works. And I think it does ultimately come from what we spoke about right at the start of this, of how what Wes wanted to do and then what Eddie and kind of his brothers and writing this movie wanted to do and, and producing it were just two completely different ideals. And he wanted, you know, Wes Craven wanted to make a comedy. Eddie Murphy wanted to make a serious film. And so they ended up making this mismatch. And then obviously, apparently him playing these other characters was sort of rewritten to get some more comedy in there of like, we need you to do something other than just the cool, suave vampire character, Um, which is why those kind of scenes feel so out of place with the rest of the movie at times. Um, And yeah, and I think especially what you said as well, like we're, we're... you can talk about this as a comedy, as an Eddie Murphy movie, as a film, but then if you, what we really need to boil this down to is as a Wes Craven movie, because that's the entire point of this of this retrospective. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think that's easily the most disappointing part about this is that like anyone could have directed this. Like there yeah. is no fingerprints whatsoever, aside from like we joke about you know like dog stunts and that, but like that is genuinely what I'm clinging on to. Of like if you're gonna if you're gonna take away all of the great things about Wes, and we joke about Man on Fire and and dog stunts it's like we only got one of those (laughs) um and and that's you know we're not even talking about character we're not even talking about cool set horror set pieces or anything like that or or an interesting soundtrack or anything like it's just it really is devoid of all of those cool things um 
which again makes it so shocking considering the two movies that it's in between that, that he got everything so right on um so yeah it, it overall like this is disappointing for sure um it's it's so forgettable to the point that like i finished off earlier today and i'm already struggling about specific scenes um there's already like entire characters that i've just completely forgot um yeah i'm, Ooh, I'm just now remembering the ending how funny it was where i'm like oh, oh yeah were they kind of setting up a sequel <laughs> the ending was great yeah well that's the thing like um obviously um angela bassett's character what was it rita she um she mm. has this so she's a cop and she's yeah. a partner and they have like this very weird like sexual chemistry where they both want to kind of be together and i'm like so like what were they going for with that like i think there's i don't think i've i don't think there's been a movie where it's been that like overtly obvious where it's like the 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 partners in the police force want to be together in real life like that's just mm. that's almost too obvious that people yeah. just never do it um and it felt very awkward and very forced and then like his whole character like just chasing after her the whole movie was was very painful um i don't even remember how he stumbled across someone that gave him a weapon like how did he even meet that dude you, you can't be asking me specifics on this film well, that's, what that's what i love that's what i love i'm like like he randomly meets someone towards the end of the movie when he's like oh yeah she's in a bit of trouble i need to go save her and just has meet someone that gives him a a dagger and they're like yeah probably just stab the vampire in the heart with that and that'll do the job mm-hmm. like, yes, dude i was just gonna go in blind like really appreciate this yeah it was very strange yeah it's it's a shame i think before we kind of wrap things up because i definitely don't want to end on this point because it is such a sad one but it's worth knowing because i was kind of reading about the production and everything and it's unfortunately like a lot of films sadly uh, one that has a real kind of sad backstory to it which is there was a, a stunt performer called sonia davis who was the stunt double for angela bassett um she was kind of fatally injured um she did a, a, a backwards fall off a roof um that was 42 foot and ended up sort of hitting a crash pad which then propelled her like up and hit into the building which is just absolutely crazy and she was in a coma for two weeks and then died shortly after um and like i was reading about how it was actually in the la times in the 90s that a family was suing the production company and i I didn't actually get to read what the outcome of that was but it's it's just it's so sad because this happens all the fucking time um you know we, we talk about it a lot with like stunt performers or maybe we don't talk about it enough i don't know but like Stump performers die on movies all the goddamn time, and they yeah, die on movies that is just so like this. Dying on this movie is so inconsequential, and and of course, dying on any movie is is clearly not worth it. And there's like these big ones that blow up, like The Crow, and obviously the the horrific like Baldwin stuff, which is still ongoing. Mm. But like stuff like this just happens all the time. Of like clearly people didn't do the right thing like reading about this goddamn crash pad and how it launched her up it's it's yeah, just it's ridiculous insane. and like it, it's really infuriating and especially i wanted to like bring it up and, and specifically name her sonia davis because mm. she was like a fairly well-known um stunt double at the time being a black woman um like she had stunt doubled for a lot of people around that time i think it was um janet jackson and some other ones so like and she had like a good career going for her and so for this mm. to just happen so you know so like unfortunate and just so unnecessary like people just aren't doing the right shit on these sets and 
yeah this is definitely That's a wider cool. point but i wanted to bring it up because it's really That's the thing is, you know I, when you hear about tom savini when he jumped off the balcony at dawn of the dead and just kind of mm-hmm. like the the crash pad just didn't do anything all the boxes and he just like yeah. broke his arm or whatever it yeah. was and then like had to do the rest of the movie in a cast like you mm-hmm. know and it was just like man like he you know that that could have been him and and yeah like there's a ton of different sets where this could happen and yeah you just think like um you know, I, I was trying to think what, what the stunt would be for the movie, whether it's mm-hmm. even a scene that's in there. Because there's a scene where Eddie kind of flies on the rooftop and she's kind of like, looks like she's going to fall. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know whether it was that scene that maybe they've just re-edited, but it's like, yeah. not, not not that it matters if it's a big yeah. scene or not, but it's just the point that like, you know, when we, when we see like an IMAX trailer for Tom Cruise doing a stunt mm-hmm. for a Mission Impossible movie, that's like the most, I mean, don't get me wrong, he's a psycho. Mm. And those stunts are incredibly dangerous, but they're the most like choreographed dangerous it could possibly be. Whereas these people were just launching themselves off buildings for, you know, for the sake of their art with, with no like care or thought that goes into it. And that's the bit that's worrying that like these people make movies better and doing these practical stunts make the movies better, but never at the cost of human life and, and never, when it's just grossly kind of underplanned yeah. and, 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 you know, with, with a bit of care and consideration, you know, she, from what you said, it sounds like, you know, she hit the mat, she, she hit her cue, you know, she did everything that needed to be done and yeah. the, the safety gear didn't do its bloody job, you know? And it's like, man, that's, that's rough. Like, you know, on so many levels and, 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 you know, it is, it is a dark cloud that's over the film industry that, is nowhere near dark enough because like you say it happens all the time when you hear about these game of thrones walking dead lord of the rings you know these big Mm. movies that have happened recently where you know stuntmen and women have just died and and it never gets publicized and these movies come out and they don't even get like a you know, there doesn't even seem to be like a notable credit at the end of the movie. Not that that even matters. Yeah. You know what I mean? No, like, well, that is the thing just in general nothing, about know? stunt performers. They they don't get the credit they deserve for doing mm. these obscene things. And then, like I say, even when something horrific happens, like I always think of just a random one recently of Deadpool 2 and how like I've never not once watched that film and not remembered like, oh, yeah, a woman died making this film. Like that was also yeah. a, a female stunt person mm. that died. And yeah, it just sucks that it's and like I say, The Walking Dead, I always remember that one as well. Like someone fell off a balcony and full zombie makeup and just died instantly and it's like it's just crazy man i just i don't get how this shit continues to happen um you know we're talking about the 90s which feels like a long time ago but then yeah there's just so many recent examples and not just the obviously the most notable crazy one recently but like yeah just normal shit happening um and people just kind of take it as like oh yeah it's just one of those things in the industry and listen of course stunts are incredibly dangerous but they mm. aren't when they're performed correctly i think that is why the tom cruise stuff is insane but i don't think there's ever a, a, a reality that we live in that the production company for mission impossible would ever let tom cruise die um mm. i just can't see that happening and we've seen it similar when keanu reeves um was doing his stuff in the matrix recently like it's an obs- obscene stunt what he did in the matrix jumping off a building on wires mm. they mm. only did that if they knew with a hundred percent certainty that they weren't going to kill keanu reeves um mm-hmm. and you have to take that same level of care that they do with the a-list actors with your stunt people as well um 
but yeah, sure. a hell of a tangent. But I'm I'm glad we brought it up. Um, yeah, definitely. There was, there was um I can't remember if there's one other thing. But yeah, with this movie, it is funny because like a lot of Wes's movies, um, this has like this weird critical reassessment, and it even goes into it on the Wikipedia where it's like upon release, this was slated and didn't do well, but now it's considered a cult classic and. And it and it cites a lot of stuff. Like there's a lot of people that talk up this movie, and to, um, which is funny to me. Um, but yeah. I almost wonder if that is just like I feel like that's been such a trend with Wes's career, with his particularly his poorer films. Yeah. Um, and it makes me laugh because I always think we're you know sometimes defenders of the great man and i almost feel like in general he definitely doesn't get as much credit as he deserves perhaps i think i think the general point is i don't think he gets enough credit for his great films yeah but then equally he has certain defenders that seem to probably want to big up his lesser films too much and i think we're in in the right spot where it's like no we can say that he made genuinely some of the best horror movies of all time and doesn't get enough credit for that but then he also made a bunch of movies that just aren't very good to us um and that's fine it doesn't change like his overall legacy i don't think um no definitely but uh yeah i mean that's i guess that's pretty much it also going off the back of that it's just funny just as a last point um we did have a comment on twitter about this uh, movie from ricky who says um i rewatched this the other day always a good watch for me um so again like people people like this film and we i remember we had a few defenders of some some of the other ones that we didn't like as much um which i always love to see for sure like i love the idea that people that aren't being forced to watch this as part of a retrospective they're just going out there and choosing and being like yeah i just want to watch vampire in brooklyn i think Um, as well though like it's context more than anything like if you saw this movie in like 1995 oh you're so true you you wouldn't have seen nutty professor Mm. you know and so seeing eddie murphy do the preacher and do the other characters might have blown your mind and then but i I do genuinely think had i seen this off the back mm. of seeing those movies at the time i would have really liked this because i would already have been a big fan of his doing those characters and then already liking horror at that age but being young and not having seen as many horrors of course i think i could have vibed with a movie like this for sure yeah i mean i'm a huge mitch pelleggi fan so like i mean oh, i'm so glad you mentioned him <laughs> i've nearly forgot like he's not even credited anywhere is he not like i couldn't find him on imdb or anything because i was like that's really? mitch pelleggi right and oh, yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. <it's> awesome <laughs> that was I, the best part of this film <laughs> definitely the best part of the film yeah i was so gutted because the second he popped up i like popped so hard and then the second that that was the introduction of eddie murphy's character i was like oh <laughs> fuck mitch is getting killed <laughs> yeah. i was like oh he could be like the villain in this movie or something and I was like, nope. <laughs> if only if only um yeah but yeah, we need to uh, rank this one. Um, mm. So yeah, this is... Uh, right. We're getting to the end now. We've already got 15 placements here. So, of course, going from the top, um, in at number one is still, for now, anyway, it might it might just about to change, um, A Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, number two is Scream. Number three is Scream 4, uh, followed by The Hills of Eyes Part 2, The Hills Have Eyes, Scream 2, uh, Wes Craven's New Nightmare, Shocker, The Last House on the Left, The People Under the Stairs, Scream Free, Swamp Thing, and then the bottom three currently is Deadly Blessing, Deadly Friend, and right at the bottom is The Serpent and the Rainbow. So, Vampire in Brooklyn. Man, I can't believe how long it took you to say Scream Free. We really rag on that movie on this frame. I was I was going to uh I was gonna bring that up, but let's get to that in a second. Um Yeah. 
Because um, yeah, I was I was literally going to call an audible on that one, but we'll. Uh, I feel I feel like we can bang this one out pretty easy. Um, it's definitely in the bottom three. Uh, I think we're in yeah. agreement there. So we're obviously because I think Swamp Thing is actually good. So um, mm. we're we're in the deadly blessing, deadly friend, serpent and the rainbow. I I, I think there are. There I can't even remember like. <laughs> Yeah, I kind of can. I think Deadly Blessing for me had a lot going for it. it it's too mm. long and it does get boring, but it has some amazing horror set pieces in it. And yeah. I think there ha- there's so much Wes Cravenisms in it that I do really appreciate. Um, so I really, I definitely prefer Deadly Blessing. For mm-hmm. me, it's between the other two. Um, de- like Deadly Friend and Serpent and the Rainbow are both really poorly constructed films. Like they're they're both just a mess in terms of the edit, in terms of uh, the studios getting involved and chopping and changing. They're, they're just terrible films. I think Vampire in Brooklyn is without a doubt a more competent and well made fil- film than both of them. However, Deadly Friend does have some interesting horror in it. I think like the basketball kill alone in that movie is is a better horror and Wes Craven moment than anything in Vampire in Brooklyn. Yeah. Um, I was gonna say I'm I'm a psychopath where I'm like I I like Deadly Friend more than this for sure. Even though Deadly like uh sorry um Vampire in Brooklyn yeah is a way more competent movie mm. in terms of it actually being a movie, but in a in a piece of media that I enjoyed more yeah um just the chaos that was was deadly friend and also the conversation of this being a wes craven movie and you could see this dna and and multiple other things it was just a way more interesting experience for me as like you know these these finite amount of wes movies that we've never seen Mm. um and like we we haven't seen like an absolute banger um because i guess well because i've i had seen shocker before yeah, Shocker's by Shock, far Shock my favourite. One, definitely. And, like, I'd only seen it once. Mm. Um, but, like, you know, at least for Deadly Friend, I had, like, a fun time. Whereas with this one, I really did not have the fun time. So, for me, like, I don't I don't think I'd put it below um, uh, anything else. But um, I'd, I'd put it there. Yeah, I agree. I, I would put it just below Deadly Friend, mostly for the reasons you've said. And it just has some more fun stuff going for it. Even though, like you say if we're judging this on like trying to be a critical and and the movie but that's never been what this list is at all from the start it's always been just our favorites um and our favorite specifically wes craven films um and there is enough in deadly friend but i think serpent and the rainbow is abysmal from top to bottom it's a chilly made film it's boring and it has nothing interesting and yeah me just laughing a couple of times at eddie murphy and seeing mitch peleggi is better than anything that happened in serpent in the rainbow Um, mitch peleggi's cameo gets it above serpent in the rainbow instantly (laughs) for sure so uh, i think we have a new number 15 um yeah the serpent of the rainbow continues to drop um how low will it drop i have a feeling it's gonna drop even more um we we only have three more after this but before we before we do a little mini preview um somebody mentioned scream free um our our current number 11 um i kind of cut you off so i want to i want to let you finish now and say like what were you going to bring up because i was certainly also wanting to bring up something regarding this film well, just to, when I was listening to that list, and it's like, it's hard because, you know, the man did a couple of Nightmare movies, a couple of Hills Have Eyes, a load of original shit, and then a ton of Scream movies. Mm. And it's like, well, it's hard to not have it just littered with Scream movies. But when we had, when you were saying them all, and then suddenly we had this gap, and then Scream 3, I'm like, man, like, the bar of Scream two to scream three is not that much of a gap 
in my opinion. Yeah, it's currently five films in the middle of yeah. the two. Yeah. Now, obviously, it's difficult because we're not ranking 15 screen movies. We are ranking mm-hmm. 15 different movies. It just felt a bit weird that it was that far away. And does he have that many movies that are at that level in that in that in that space? I'm not so sure. Yeah. Well. I was kind of shocked reading this because I remember at the time, obviously we started with Scream. Mm-hmm. So we, we started our list with this four Scream movies. And I feel like that's why we've kind of put these in different spots and maybe it hasn't shaped out as naturally as it would have been in terms mm. of just chronological it's order. Because we, yeah. Yeah, we purposely wanted to have some, some gaps in here. Um, and I remember at the time, Last House on the Left being a big debate and kind of whether or not that was above or below it. And I'm, I'm happy with that. I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, yeah, I, I'm, I feel like that's just above Scream free however i don't remember us ever thinking that the people under the stairs was better than screen free so i don't to my knowledge i don't really know how that one's crept above screen free yeah so you do you feel the same way yeah so so give me give me from scream two to scream three again so number six is scream two Mm -hmm. then we've got wes craven's new nightmare Mm -hmm. shocker Mm -hmm. last house on the left the Mm -hmm. people under the stairs and then scream free yeah, I mean that's that's insane. Yeah. Yeah, so I think yeah, Scream Three is without a shadow of a doubt gone up at least one place. Um Yeah, I mean I mean and then I think I think what you said makes it makes a fantastic point that obviously the evolution of this list isn't as natural as it would have been if we'd have done it in chronological order without the screen movies just sat there to begin with. And certainly when we started this list, it did feel like yeah, we don't want to just have four screen movies and then where then the rest of his movies underneath them. And and now we've kind of got beyond that, and we're getting mm. a you know we're getting this decent list, and we've got things in there. When you know between Scream Two and New Night, you know, and Scream Three, you said a New Nightmare, and I'm like, hell yeah, New Nightmare. I'm like, you know, the more I, if I think about New Nightmare, New Nightmare more, I'm like, does it go above two? You know, but no, that's crazy. <laughs> no, but I think, but no, but I think it's on that par is what I'm getting at. That he, yeah, we've suddenly got a load of movies that are at a very high close level. Yeah. Whereas, whereas when we we didn't have that when we were talking about Deadly Blessing in comparison to Scream movie, yeah. is, is what I'm getting at. Whereas Definitely. a new nightmare is a comparable conversation. Mm. Um, so, so yeah, I, I think it's got to go above that. I mean, I mean, I would argue it, it could even climb higher. It does start to, you know, get murky. Um, yeah, it's difficult. I'm happy moving point. it up one for now, so it's now mm. in the top ten. Um, obviously, yeah, the three above it would be New Nightmare, Shocker, and The Last House on the Left. Um, yeah. Which, yeah, I feel like it's very close, between, especially Shocker and Last House on the Left and Scream 3. It's like, man, you, you yeah, really yeah, start yeah, to just hairs at some point. Stays, stays above it, I think. Yeah, but um, I'm, I'm happy moving up one for now, um, unless you feel incredibly strongly that it needs to move any higher. I'm, I'm pretty happy with it. No, I don't feel it. incredibly strongly. It definitely needed to move up. I, I don't know how um, people under the stairs crept, crept above it. No, no, I don't either. It's like, did, we, cause like we, did we just really like it on the recent rewatch? I don't know. Like, I mean, it's yeah, it's a good, it's a good film, but like, I never thought I liked it more than Scream 3. Um, no. No, but and then like I say, we are talking about our fourth favorite screen movie here. But that that's you know that's just what it is. You know, <laughs> still a fa- absolutely incredible film. Um, yeah, I was like, going to say I'm talking about the most recent screen movie being my fifth favorite screen movie potentially, definitely. and I'm still like I still really like that movie more than most. Yeah, not even potentially for me without a shadow of a doubt. Um, yeah, but yeah, I mean that that's that's 16 movies, only three to go. Um, do you, do you know what's next off the top of your head? 
no no it's uh yeah I'm, I'm interested for all three of these for different reasons but next up is a movie that yeah i've i think i've seen once when it came out which is cursed i was gonna say so um, is it yeah so cursed red eye um my soul to take correct that is the final three damn, um, damn. i wasn't which... sure I, I i couldn't quite remember because i'm i'm so excited for red eye man <laughs> yeah yeah, there's one movie that we're both incredibly familiar with out of these three. And then, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure I've only seen Cursed and My Soul to Take once, uh, both of those two films. Um, I've seen them both, like, a few times. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited for Red Eye. I haven't seen that movie yeah. in a long minute as well. Yeah, well, hopefully, obviously, we'll, it'll be a couple of months now, probably, until we get to Cursed. And then I think it's around that time in April when that 4K version of Red Eye comes out. Mm. So hopefully nom, 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 nom. Uh, yeah i really want that to be the the watch for that one around probably around june time um oh. and then yeah we'll we'll get we'll have this wrapped up hopefully by i don't know maybe august and then we'll have to see like what we want because i always like having these this was such an awesome fun experience overall um mm-hmm. obviously there's still more to look forward to but yeah we, we need <laughs> something else to... <laughs> yeah but that's the thing it's, it's all part and parcel isn't it like i think if this was like just a film review, like our normal film reviews, no, it's it's not fun at all. But I think it being the part of this ongoing list and stuff, it, it definitely makes it a lot more enjoyable. Um, but I think we kind of started with the ultimate one, the best one for us for the podcast, yeah. you know, in terms of the list and the, the longevity of the career. So we're not going to unfortunately ever get anything like this again, but there's plenty of other either franchises or specific filmmakers that we can do this on. Um which is yeah, very very exciting. But yeah, that is one for probably. I mean, we'll probably that'll probably be a twenty twenty four thing at this point. Um, but yeah, very exciting. Well, I, I love always doing a bit of Wes Craven. Like I say, this obviously this wasn't a great one. It's our second worst one we've covered. Um, mm-hmm. But it's it's always a joy. Like just look at that. You know that list is uh, absolute bangers from yeah, like I say, Scream Three at number ten. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, Scream exactly. Scream Three is your tenth best movie. <laughs> That's <laughs> obscene, isn't it? <laughs> had a good film on man. That is that is crazy. Like yeah. that is absurd. And I think that is why he's our favorite director. Because yeah, there isn't another director yeah. I know that and name, has name ten movies. Director that's ten tenth best movie, and we'll compare that to Scream Three. Like, <laughs> like you know, we're we're getting to like Tarantino levels here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't he's not even got ten, has he? So like, yeah, he's on. Is he on nine? It depends how you count it because he yeah, counts Kill Bill as one. Um, yeah, yeah, but yeah, let's I think not, it's let's not going to QT. <laughs> no, we, we can do that next time. <laughs> there you go. We've just we've just decided what the next one is. <laughs> um, no, we just do Death Proof every week. Um, but yeah, that was our discussion on uh, Vampire in Brooklyn. We will take a quick break and we will be right back. So yeah, this is uh, our, our typical little chat. Obviously, this is if you're listening to this in our normal order of podcasts, then this will be normal for you. But if you're listening to this as like a, a Wes Craven style retrospective, this might be a yeah. random conversation you, to have yeah, at the if end. You, if you last listened to us doing a Wes Craven movie, uh, yeah, we've we've got broken since the last review of a Wes Craven movie where 
now now we just have a second podcast within a podcast yeah that's exactly it so yeah if you only came for the wes craven stuff see you later um but otherwise we're going to be talking about uh hbo's the last of us episode seven um full spoiler alert for obviously all of the tv show at this point but no no future spoilers um for the Mm -hmm. video game and yeah i mean god we say it every single week um but i'm just i i genuinely am lost for words at this point with this show i feel like this week's episode um was the one that i was waiting for for a long time there's so many incredible moments in the story of the last of us mm-hmm. um and i think waiting for that first episode to make sure they were doing it justice and that kind of opening with sarah um the ending as well is something that's very much specifically with me but i think left behind um this part of the story just has such a strong place in my heart i remember playing this expansion when it came out you know a year after the base game and how much it just fully enriched the world and the characters and the story of ellie um i think that's when like the last of us was so special but when they did left behind i truly think that's when it changed naughty dog for the good and it's when they realized like what they wanted to do as storytellers yeah exactly right that it was no longer these cinematic set pieces and obviously Mm. we had these um moments obviously in the game that that are these pure story beats that are these hugely massive moments that you know we've got a couple still to come and but we also had these set pieces we had the sniper things like that there was this pure video gamey mechanical set piece this combination you know there was there was a a fedra uh truck that we're we're past that beat in the story now where Mm. that kind of chases ellie and joel for for our uh, entire section of the game and that's an in, incredible video gamey set piece whereas whereas left behind was a true story beat that that any big moment in that in that game in that in that kind of dlc was um story driven and just these tiny little moments you know the photo booth the 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 the, the halloween shop the, the merry-go-round all of those moments were these just fantastic um cinematic experiences within the game and it it really taught naughty dog to that that was what their shit is Mm. not not these uncharted huge moments because those uncharted huge moments were these character driven you know story beats just in this crazy over-the-top scenario and when they stripped it back to its core it was as interesting if not more interesting well, I think it was just, it was them changing, you know, I think at the time that's what Naughty Dog was and it's what they did better than anyone else in the world was those action set pieces. And then I think this was the, like I say, it was the transition to the next era, I think, of Naughty Dog, mm. um, you know, with the kind of the early beginnings, then the big Uncharted set pieces and then going into The Last of Us. And it's like, okay, what is The Last of Us? Well, it's a character driven story drama. Um, but yeah, I... I I, I was gonna like preemptively get angry at this because I was like, if they don't call this episode "Left Behind," I'm gonna be pissed off. Um, and I really didn't think they would because they've gone for such quite weird and out there titles for a lot of, of the episodes. Um, but yeah, when, once I no, once I saw it, I was like, hell yeah! And the fact that this is the only episode that Neil wrote on his own as well. Um, it was absolutely perfect. Like, I love this part of the story so much, this kind of date that Ellie and Riley go on and this kind of, like, slice of normality in this fucked-up world. Um, and th- this portrayal in this mall 
absolutely gorgeous i think they they like i said they hit all of the major beats from the video game that i wanted um i love that they changed certain things like i you know the video game store is very yeah. different with the arcade machines and i think it you add so much because seeing like the sega logo seeing tetris obviously um you know mortal kombat 2 being the big one but like the fact that they're able to pull in all of these actual well, real um, video games that obviously they couldn't do when it was on a playstation game exactly and you and you you can't not play the game we can't have a character sitting there with their eyes closed like. yeah i was I'm glad you mentioned that because that was something that i was slightly disappointed about at the time um because yeah, I, I, I really it's just not gonna you couldn't do it well the thing is they could but it not mm. in this tv show because obviously this tv show is so grounded and i think had mm. you zoomed in so for people that don't know in the video game it's like all of the arcade machines are broken and so ellie's disappointed because she really wants to play not mortal kombat 2 it's a rip-off fighting game in the in the game and yeah like riley's like no close your eyes and she explains she's like describing the video game and as that happens the camera zooms in on ellie's face and we have like the lights reflecting on her as you're pressing the buttons for like the fatalities um and it's absolutely magical and i yeah. would have loved to have seen like something similar to that because i feel like obviously what we got in the tv show was just it was simple it was just they're playing the game and having an awesome time so it wasn't some like like what they did in the dlc was so goddamn creative um and I also think they use that again, that same storytelling device in part two. And now knowing that we're probably not going to get that in the TV show either. That's one of my favorite moments in Last of Us part two. Um, so maybe they will still do that. Who knows? Like that would be a great way of subverting the expectations. Like, yeah, we didn't do it as an arcade machine, but we are doing it now. So who knows? But um, I think, again, it's just a great example of what we did. What we got was different but still awesome and the fact that we got the fake out as well because we got the merry-go-round and the arcade machines and then obviously they have the argument and, and ellie leaves mm -hmm. and i was like holy shit yeah, I know. Like, if they deem that the halloween store isn't necessary i'm gonna be livid because that's like my favorite part of the whole thing I know. and it's like oh no 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 what we've done is we've now changed the order into where the halloween store is the finale and it's the big moment you know it's the it's the sweetest moment it's the kiss it's the bite so it's like the it's the joys of the of the kiss but then it's the heartbreak immediately of the attack um and so the fact that all of that happened in the halloween store with the same goddamn song that plays from the video yeah. game like the use of music throughout the whole episode again is just absolutely magical and again this is like continuing on from last week they had this slight dip where it went down for like a couple of episodes which again we're talking about a minuscule dip but since then this is absolute perfection isn't it they, they haven't dropped a beat now in in over two no. episodes no definitely not i think yeah the what they did with the use of music and the use of just the references to the video game with with the you know, straight up scenes that are just so important, but even like the Dawn of the Wolf poster, yeah, and the Marlin stuff. Like, I popped so fucking hard for that. I couldn't believe that because, um, especially because they're changing all of these fake yeah. things. I really did yeah. think it would be. I mean, I don't know if it makes sense for it to be Twilight, but obviously that's what it was based upon. Yeah, it was based off. Yeah. Um. So I don't know because obviously they've they have changed the dates because obviously this is two thousand and three in the mm. TV world, whereas obviously it was twenty thirteen in the video game when it happened. Um. But yeah, I love the fact that like yeah. It's just this weird knockoff film poster of Twilight is yeah, in the nothing. HBO show. And, and yeah. But then but then like for us we pop so hard for it. So Definitely. I absolutely loved that. And I loved um the scene when all the lights go on and Ellie sees them all for the first time. It's just this it's an incredible scene. 
And then it's it's followed up with a new scene that's not in the game with her going like going wild for the escalator. Mm-hmm. And I love that because I was like, yeah. that's brilliant. Like that's you know, kids on an escalator for the first time lose their minds like that. And so of course Ellie's going to. And like I love that Riley was like, shit, like, okay, this is an extra wonder of them all. <laughs> like I yeah. this is just this is just moving stairs, Ellie. Like, you wait for what I've got in store for you. So mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I absolutely love that. I think they they nailed every one of those scenes. You know, the the photo booth was fantastic. The um, the merry go round was was fantastic, and the mask shop was fantastic. Like they all nailed them. I think with the mask shop, I definitely would have liked them to to spend a little bit more time there before they yeah. actually put the mask on and started dancing. In the game, you get to explore the shop a little bit more and try on some different masks, etc. But it was still fantastic. You know, again. When I'm pointing at the show, being like, "Oh, can you just give me like a little bit more?" I'm like, "Yeah." yeah. My main criticism of this week's show is that it wasn't twice as long. Um, yeah, because there know, is but... parts like the water gun fight and stuff where yeah. they clearly cut it for time or whatever. Exactly. So that would have been really good. I think my my only criticism of this week's show was a couple of the added things that they did, in particular with Ellie and Riley's relationship where I felt like it at times was a little bit too heavy handed and made it too obvious that there was going to be um, a relationship there. I think in particular, the Victoria secrets um, scene when Riley's kind of like, Oh, I was picturing you in that Ellie. Like it just, it just was a little bit too, too close to home. Like Mm -hmm. that. And when Ellie kind of asks her to look away while she's getting changed and kind of, you know, these couple of scenes like that. And I felt like if it had just been the look in the photo booth and on the on the merry-go-round and kind of these little bits like that, they were fantastic. And they were what they were in the game. Because I don't know about you, but when I played the game for the first time, when I played the DLC, I was a little surprised by the kiss when it first happened. I yeah. wasn't... I, I didn't know that that's what was happening until it happened. And then yeah. when it happened and I played the DLC again, I was like... Oh yeah, the signs are there. Ellie's looking at her like with love, but I, I I didn't I didn't quite see it the first time round, and that just gave it that nuance that that gave it re- replayability. Whereas yeah, this felt very heavy handed and kind of um, you know I think people that haven't played the game would have seen that kiss coming a mile off. Yeah, and- I do agree with that. That like it, in the game, I remember being like actually shocked in that moment mm. and then when you replay it it's so obvious because the writing is so good whereas yeah it's i i really like the victoria secrets moment because it's funny and i also liked when she when ellie's kind of like checking her reflection in the glass or whatever but then mm. throughout the whole episode yeah. like i say after the photo booth in the arcade they just have so many of those lingering close moments that it's it's so obvious what's going on at that point and like i say i don't think when they kiss anyone is shocked watching the tv show i could be wrong and i, but I also think that goes into to we already had the Ben and Frank stuff so I feel yeah. like that that baited people better in episode three and I feel like people's like are gonna be more aware that, that a reveal like that could happen and that's almost what I was kind of saying with um the Kathleen character of like the the way they've told the story is they have used parts of the last of us that is more effective later on earlier in the tv show and so i feel like bill and frank made this less impactful and it does worry it make me worried about something in the future being less impactful but yeah it is funny that like it it does such a good job i think of portraying it but that is absolutely something that was just better in the game it is because you know it is um 
strange that obviously this this you know what, what when is this set 2003 did you say that when when the outbreak yeah yeah spoke? yeah so obviously like in 2003 it's not 2023 mm-hmm. and so the fact that like two of these main episodes have have got these kind of gay relationships in in this post-apocalyptic world that was pre what we've just had for the last you know years to to, to get that level of acceptance like yeah. it feels it feels strange that we'd have these this amount of characters that would be openly gay like that, mm. um, you know. And and like I said, it, they're both fantastic stories, and I love them both. But they, it does feel like the the two combined make, like you say, it does make this less impactful that we did get Bill and Frank before. And like, yeah. would I would I sacrifice the Bill and Frank episode for this to be more impactful? No, because that episode was great. Yeah. And their, their their love story was such a great new addition to this this world but it but you know this whole time obviously as someone that knows the game i knew that ellie and riley was coming yeah. and and yeah i do think it did lose the lose the impact a little bit and i i do just think if if they'd have just tried to be a little bit more subtle with with not being so heavy-handed with the looks and everything else if it had just been a slight linger in the photo booth and and you know this look on the carousel and you know it, it you you don't know then whether it was resentment or or um you know what it was um you know whether it was kind of you're you've gone away and now you've come back like I, I i'm angry but i also you're my best friend or or is it real love you know and and see you know what it is um but there, there was one thing that i really needed to bring uh, attention to which was just just prior to the kiss when they're dancing in the masks because um, we spoke about it last week when i said about uh how pedro pascal made us fall in love with a cgi character while he is wearing a mask mm. and i'm like bella ramsey the emotion that bella ramsey portrayed whilst wearing a mask in that scene was phenomenal mm. where i was like i can see her expression inside the mask when she stops and watches Riley to, to dance, you know, dance in. And it's just like this little slight head tilt of like, I want to tell you so bad. Like I want to make this move so bad, but I know I can't and I shouldn't. Mm. And I'm like, I don't know how she did it. I, I don't know. And I don't know whether that's because I knew that that's how Ellie felt because I've played the game and this episode has told me that or whether but but i don't i don't think that's the case i think it's bella's performance that somehow she gave me a million emotions when it was just a picture of a mask on screen which which just blows my mind um it was incredible yeah the overall level of acting in this tv show is just ridiculous i mean again you talk about the the casting they just got another amazing casting of like an Mm. actress who's only going to be playing this character in one episode and that's something that's so hard to pull off because and we've had that now in countless episodes where we're talking about sarah we're talking about bill we're talking about frank you know tess was only in two episodes like there's so many of these major characters that are perfectly cast by amazing actors um you know played by amazing actors and 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 it's just i i love all that stuff i think um i agree that like in general it is a shame that the the kiss wasn't a shock but i don't necessarily think it's too much of a bad thing like i i brought it up because i i do think that it it's a shame because that's how i felt playing the video game however i do think the intention is different here and the only reason I, i compared it to bill and frank is because that is a shock and it happens early on 
Whereas this is, I don't think it's supposed to be a shock, but it happens at the end. And I think most of the time when you're watching this, you know that this is like, oh no, this is like a, it's a really cute date that she's arranged, but you don't know obviously originally that it's her motive because it's like she feels sorry and she's leaving her. Um, so I love all that context. And, and again, there's another example of, we talk about The Last of Us having like exceptional writing and like i you know i've been saying for like a very long time and i even referenced it on the podcast for years when i when we briefly talked about video games where i was like i truly believe it's the best narrative told in video games and it's like the fact that you can just pull out word for word again scenes from like a 10 year old video game and it perfectly translates to the best tv we've ever seen Mm -hmm. in that moment where her revealing it to her is just saying don't go and then she's like okay and then they kiss like that is just perfect and and the fact that it was perfect in the video game and it's perfect in the tv show it's just so strong i i love it so much i think the the, what they've done to this point is outrageous and the fact that yeah we've only got two more Mm -hmm. is sad i'm really curious about particularly next week's episode um because i i do want to make like a slight prediction um and to hope that i'm wrong in the um obviously we know that like a certain character is coming that we don't need to talk uh-huh. about but like my my prediction mm-hmm. is that... <laughs> i know exactly what your prediction is because <laughs> i think i already on, mentioned guys. it um obviously i feel like all of the characters so far have either been as good as the video game or better mm-hmm. um I, you know, I think most of them are as good. And I think, um, you know, Bill and Frank are clearly better in the TV show. And then I think like Henry and Sam are either as good. I think Tess is slightly better in the show. Um, Joel and Elliot's really hard to say because we're so early on, but they are absolutely amazing so far. Um, but I do think a certain character is not going to be as good in the TV show. That's my prediction. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope I'm wrong, um, but I just feel like he's not going to have as much time to shine and, and have such the colossal impact. He, He's one of the most interesting characters I've ever seen in any video game. And the bar is so goddamn high in this TV show at this point that I can't see how this character could possibly um, live up to those expectations. There's two parts of that where, again, we're going to keep spoiler free, but I had mm. I had a casting that I would have liked him to be, which I'm not <laughs> going to say yet because I think it would get into spoiler territory, even just with the mm. casting. Um, but secondly, we know another actor that's going to be there as well. And I'm mm. like, I don't know whether we're going to get a, a red herring in this episode as well, because every character is so. the same. And I'm like, does does this one, do we get a change? Do we get a major change with a character? I really hope so. Um, because I, what this show has done more than anything, going back to this week's episode and, and away from kind of potential spoiler territory, is that it's averted expectations for people who love the game mm. they've given us exactly the game story but they've yeah. kept me it's guessing every in, the, in the middle of the episodes part. we haven't known yeah but they've they've kept me guessing every step along the way and and so when i get those scenes you know last week when ellie and joel had that conversation in the bedroom and she shoves him exactly like in the video game with the exact beat like that punched me in the chest and and if i'd have been like oh okay yep yeah, yeah, we've just had these other three beats and now we're going to get that scene. It just it wouldn't have hit me as hard. Mm. But because they gave me all this new content and then gave me that scene, it hit me again. And I think with um, uh, Ellie and Riley's kiss, like when they did kiss, as you, you spoke about it, it was perfection. But it was also the dialogue after where they were just like, so what do we do now? And they're like, whatever the hell we want. Like, And they were just 
in that moment, I was so happy for the two of them that they had each other and that they'd found their, you know, their paradise in this post-apocalyptic hell. And and the 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 bloody TV show made me forget what was coming in the next second <laughs> because I shouldn't have allowed myself to feel that because mm. I knew I played the game. I know how it ends. And if people people watching the show for the first time, you know, there's only Ellie later on. Like, mm. so you, you know, you kind of know how that ends. But but I 100 percent knew how that ends. And I still let myself get caught up in the moment. And then it still hit me hard, like when they both got bit. And I, and I loved Ellie's reaction, you know, and I love the juxtaposition between the two reactions where mm. Ellie is like scratching her arm and clawing at the bite mark, trying to get rid of it. And, and, um, and then just like smashing everything because she has this rage and this frustration. Whereas Riley is just like, do you know what? And it was almost like, I don't even care that I've been bitten because mm-hmm. I found you. I finally see you and you see me. And so if that's two days or two hours or 20 years, like what uh, Bill and Frank got, like, I don't really care because I got to have that. And I was like, you bastards. Like, that's so beautiful. And I was like, I I, I didn't think you'd be able to get me there um, in the show again. Mm. And, and they did. And I think um, that's why going back to next week, spoiler free, is that we very much know the beats of, of that, that whole, you know, preview that we got to see. And I just don't think it can go down the exact same way. We're going to get to the same conclusion, mm. but, but you know, what surprises are there going to be on the way to keep us guessing as crazy fans of the video game? And, and I really think they have, they're going to have to throw a curveball with that character. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, we'll see. We'll see. But yeah, that, that's, that's where I think they might be going. It is crazy that like we've only got two episodes left, and we still haven't had like the two big cameos <laughs> that I know, we know are coming. I know. Well, we knew um, we knew early on that they were going to be these two episodes. Just, kind just of. from just from like <clears throat> what we kind of said. I yeah. I I had a feeling that maybe one, we were going to get one of them this week. Um, you know, I I really thought Ashley was going to potentially be involved in this one because um, we haven't even mentioned. Obviously, mm. there's a lot of new shit in here early on, which I really liked. You know, th- that mm. was something that we'd spoken about last year. Yeah, true. In terms of like, okay, the, the adaptation is going to be great, but the fact that they can fill in the gaps and so seeing her in the Fedra school, mm-hmm. you know, with the bully scene, punching the bully, and in the kind of like principal's office style scene where he's kind of laying out the path for Ellie and what she can mm-hmm. achieve, and I and I loved all that stuff. And then obviously when she kind of talks to riley about that in the future where she's like we have the future ahead of ourselves you know we can decide whatever we want to be and she's like yeah that's great they told me that i'm like shoveling shit basically like you can decide ellie because you have something about you whereas yeah i'm i'm just on ship patrol like that that's me like that that's my level at fedra yeah and so for, for that to then have that juxtaposition of like oh no now i now i understand why you've joined the the enemy mm. to, in my eyes like god it's so good and i also love that they we're probably never going to fill in this gap anymore in terms of what happens after the bite um yeah i know it. We, I felt it ended so soon <laughs> yeah and it does in the video game and we obviously got more because in the video game you then you just meet ellie whereas in the tv show she's like chained up with marlene and stuff but you do wonder like okay how did you how did the two of them bit 
then get to her chained up with Marlene? Yeah. You know, did did Riley start to turn quickly or quicker, and she kind of realized like, oh, Ellie, like something's the matter with you. Like you need to find Marlene. Here's where they are. Go find yeah. her. Did Ellie have um, to kill? Riley, you I know, was did say, Riley kill question. herself? Yeah, because he's already asked Riley, you know? Yeah, Ellie keeps asking people like, "Are they still in there when they turn and stuff?" Which, mm-hmm. yeah, to me, really makes you think like she had to kill her, um, yeah. and she has that guilt of knowing that for sure. Um, yeah, I really want to see more, but I, I yeah, I don't think we will. Um, no, ever. I think um, it's one of those things that is really it is cool that they leave that open. I think, I think it as would well, be as interesting to see it. Um, the whole Fedra versus Fly, Firefly thing, I think, is fantastic mm. because um, they. You know, it it really in in the video game and in the show, it does a great job of towing the line. Where it's like, what is good versus evil? Who, who is good and who is evil in this world? Like, is Fedra good or evil, or are or are the Fireflies good or evil? Like, because you know, Fedra is, you know, when we see the 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 principal's office scene, you know, the general or whatever he whatever he is, like saying to her, like, if you become an officer. You're you're warm in the winter. You're cool in the summer. You you have food. You you know you're, you're comfortable. We have got society that works, and you you will have a good life. Mm. Like you know, we have found something that works, and then we see the fireflies in episode one, kind of blowing up things, nearly killing Tess. You know, and it's like, well, what is good and bad? But then you see the fireflies wanting to fight for the future and wanting to have these scientists and you know ellie and joel are, 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 are heading towards trying to find the fireflies in this show to you know to get them to work on the cure and everything else like you know and and fedra doesn't seem as interested in that and and um they just want to kill anyone that's infected and have this world where they are corrupt you know we see it again in the first episode where you know, they are corrupt and taking these backhand deals and the people that aren't officers don't have a great life. So it's like, well, yeah, who's right and who's wrong in this post-apocalyptic world? Yeah. You know, and, and I think that the game did that and the show's doing it where, yeah, like there, there isn't really a side because the, the, the side that's right is is dependent on how you feel and what side you're on because, and you see that perfectly with Ellie and Riley where Ellie's like, well, I'm going to be an officer. Like, and you're going to be throwing this pipe bomb at me. Like, you're in the wrong, Riley. And Riley's like, yeah, you're going to be an officer, like, you know, forcing these people that are below you to do what you say. Like, you know, and I'm like, damn, like, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Who the hell's right or wrong? And I I just thought that was great. And I think, like, we get it early on with that extra scene because we don't get that extra context of Ellie actually being a – not a follower, but but willing to live in that world. Like, yeah. if Riley hadn't come through her window that night, would we have a sliding door scenario where Ellie just becomes an officer? Does yeah. she does she get her head down and just have this life as an officer and never gets bit and and just knuckles down and 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 yeah has that comfortable life, you know, and, and fights the fireflies. Yeah, well, yeah, I think I think happens. I think it does, and I think that's that is fascinating because it's like that guy is a good person in my eyes. Mm. I think he did a. He's like he's exactly what he's, you want he's in Ellie's role. first father figure. Yeah, exactly. That was her wanting a parental role, and also I think mm. he did an amazing job. Where like he did lay it out, no bullshit. He mm. spoke to her like a human being, and I actually think it went in. I yeah, think 100% Ellie, it did. I think Ellie did believe that, and then that's why she was kind of trying to 
do the same message to Riley and indoctrinate her and be like, look, it's worked for me. And then, but obviously she doesn't have the same, you know, experience with that. And obviously Riley has already kind of had her realization that like, no, the Fedra is absolutely not for me. Like you're, you are not preaching to the choir here. Like this is not going in. Um, but I think in general, I completely agree that like, the overall politics of the show has been so fascinating to me and done so well because the video game is like known for being very political in video games because most video games just don't have anything to say so like you have a video game that just has anything to say and everyone's like oh my god it's so political or whatever but i think with the tv show it's done so subtly it's not like battering you over the head with it i don't think like the tv show has an overall message or side that it's trying to put you on and i think like one of my favorite lines i don't think we mentioned last week was with tommy um and her like his wife describing their whole jackson and oh, uh, yeah. I, think, I think joel was like um oh so like like communism and mm. tommy was like no i'm not a communist and then his wife was like we literally live on a commune like we are the very definition yeah. of communism and then he has that look in his eyes where he's like oh shit and like i love that because here's a guy who in the real world back in his real day life would never have thought that he would prescribe to these ideals and now mm-hmm. suddenly the world that's been presented to him this is his dream scenario and it's exactly what in in the old world he would fought against um so i just think that was another beautiful example and again it's subtle it's just one line of dialogue but it just adds it just fills in these gaps in this world and like yeah the 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 writing again is just overall exceptional of course everything is exceptional we can always call out specific things but like i'm just continually blown away by the by the craft of the show and yeah i think our conversations uh represent that because we're both going to be incredibly sad when this ends and i think mm-hmm. we're like th- there's going to be great tv like even this year like it seems like we're getting the return of black mirror which is super exciting and some other stuff as well but like man the last of us has just set a bar now that i just don't know if I'm, anything I'm sad for year end because i'm like yeah. well basically now it's like we just have a top 10 movie category to talk about but everything <laughs> else is set yeah, well, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking past that, where I'm just like, I just don't think I'm ever going to be excited about TV in the way I am with this. And it is funny, because, like, if I think before this show, what was my current favorite TV shows that are on air, right, that's still airing, they would probably be Black Mirror and The Mandalorian. And we're getting The Mandalorian, like, what, is that out tomorrow? <laughs> yeah, it's out tomorrow. <laughs> oh, man, I'm, I'm so not ready to watch it at no, all. No, I'm I'm wait, to be honest, like, I honestly think I'm going to wait until The Last of Us is finished. Um, I kind of I feel like can't, I might have to, just because, yeah. yeah like... I, I, can't, I can't start another Pedro show while this is ongoing. Like, I just can't do it. But yeah, it's like, that's on. Like, m- like yeah, probably my favorite show, and I'm not even going to watch it because I'm too invested in The Last of Us right mm. now. Let alone, like, yeah, it's just it's just crazy um what a goddamn show and then yeah i guess in the meantime i on that note i have no idea what we're doing next week because uh i just my mind is all about the last of us i know in a couple of weeks we've got a massive movie to talk about of course the return of scream which is going to be insane so we need to remember to do a nice little preview for that one next week as well um crazy yeah these are so crazy these are going to be like two hour episodes because we're going to we're going to need to preview scream next week and talk about the penultimate last of us and then we're going to have to talk about the finale and scream <laughs> no i i i i don't i think we're just going to, have to do a separate episode <laughs> yeah there's just yeah. no way there's no way i know it's so obscene but yeah it's great it's it this is a, what, a crazy time and it's such a cool time for the podcast we like say we've talked a lot about tv we've had tv specials and stuff but we've never been invested in a tv show like this and of course it's because of our our love for the last decade of this uh this amazing franchise um 
and yeah i'm so glad it i'm so glad it's being done right and people get to experience it in a different format hopefully it will bring people to the game as well like there's no better time if you're loving the tv show buy a playstation 5 play the last of us part one and then definitely play the last of us part two um and yeah just have a great time with it all um but yeah that was episode 338 uh thanks for listening as always and we'll see you again very soon see you later everyone I never could, and how could I start?